Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm excited about our new series, You May Not Be. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. I taught this series a number of years ago at a different church I pastored, and I want you to know that it was life-changing. Going into it, I went into it with fear and trembling. Who wants to study the life of Job? You know, and I think there's, you know, a concern that if we study the life of Job, we may have the life of Job. But it was such a powerful experience for our church. And, I, of course, now I'm up, updating it and revising it and sharing it with you for the next several weeks. What is your first thought when you think of the book of Job? Beautifully he suffered. Boy, that's well put. Someone else. Humility, Humility yes. Restoration. Restoration. Who was over here? Bad. <laughs> that's honest. That's right. Any other? What do you think of when you, th- when you hear about Job? The what? Betrayal. Betrayal. Helpful friends. Hel- yeah, helpful friends. With friends like these who needs enemies. Yes. Great. Boy, that's a great point. If God would say of all of us, have you considered my servant Linda or my servant James? The Lord was proud of Job. He was pleased with Job. And we're going to see why. The challenge for us is to try to understand why someone so good would go through things so bad. And so why are some people even afraid to read the book? Why do you think? I actually had people saying, I don't know if I want to go to church during this, this season. <laughs> not, not recently, but when I taught this before. Why do you think that is? Why are people afraid to, to dive into the book of Job? Kind of what you think about, you might think about. Okay, yeah, we're afraid that his, anything in his life might happen to us. Yes. Okay, that's another thing. We realize that could we endure like he did? You know, do we have that kind of faith? But as we're going to see, Job had great faith, but he also had chinks in his armor. He had areas of his life, of his faith, that needed to be restored. And so this is actually, as you had mentioned, it is a, a beautiful story of God's love for humanity. It really is a powerful story. And I want you to understand, this is not a, it's not a negative study. A lot of times, you know, we, we think that about Job, all the things he suffered. But it'll, it will expose the cracks in the foundation of your faith. It will. This study is going to peel back some layers. And we're going to realize, you know what? I have this weakness in my foundation of my faith that I need to fix. And, I, and, and we're going to see this because there are things that we're not going to completely understand on this side of heaven. But I, I firmly believe every time I read Job, every time I've taught it, God has changed my life for the better. And so I encourage you, let's go there with Job, okay? Let, let's, let's walk in his shoes. Let's, let's try to see things through his eyes and his experience. And if you're willing... If you're willing to ask the hard questions, 
and not always receive the answer, if you're willing to go deeper in your faith, this will take you there. The study of the book of Job will take you there and it'll help you face some of your fears. Because that's one thing about the book of Job. There was, there was fear. Here's the irony. When you get the things you want, then you're afraid you're going to lose them. Right? Think of people that are very wealthy. You know, they get that wealth and then they, you'd think they'd be happy, but then they live in fear of maintaining it and keeping it. And so it's, it's really insidious. The things we think will make us happy don't always make us happy. And in fact, oftentimes entrap us and it just creates more problems. And so we're going we're gonna to address all these issues and mentioning Job's friends. Now, one thing to consider when we study uh, the book of Job is that not everything his friends say were true. So you can't quote Job's friends as a Bible verse, <laughs> you know, because what they're saying is wrong. Now, what's also interesting is some of the things they're saying is correct. But I want you to understand that they had crossed the line so much with God that God says, if Job doesn't intercede for you, I'm, I'm coming after you. So Job had to pray for his friends so that they wouldn't, wouldn't suffer uh, the, the judgment of God. And so they tried to approach things logically and we have to understand that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And we're going to find this out and I'm, I don't want to steal too much of my thunder because this is, going to be a, a, this is going to be a great journey together. You will find consolation and comfort in your suffering. You will if you take this journey. Now, let me know that sometimes before we can be healed of something, we have to bring it to light. It, it, we ha have to bring it out into the open before the Lord will heal it and before we can overcome it. There's a lot of things we've kept just packed down in our hearts. and We, we don't want to go there. We don't want to deal with it. But if we are willing to bring that to the light, the Holy Spirit will bring healing and comfort. He's the comforter. And so we've all suffered to some degree or the other. Some of us ha didn't have much, well, none of us had the choice of the family we were born in, right? And, and why is it that some people are born in a great family and some people are born in a dysfunctional family? It's not fair to the, that child. One child's not better than the other. And see, these are the questions that keep people from believing in God. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And you know what? We're going to see that God did allow these things to happen. And we're going we're gonna to dig in there to, you know, why would God allow that to happen? And we're gonna, but we have to realize that this study is not to try to find answers, per se. Because I've got to tell you that God doesn't promise answers. But what this study will do is get us to a place where we're at peace with the question. Maybe we won't get the answers, but we'll be at peace, living just in that cognitive dissonance, that, that contradiction of not always understanding it, but still believing it. And so I'm, I'm excited about this journey with you. It's going to take you deeper. It's going to take you to places maybe that in, in your heart that you've kept unresolved for a while. I, I believe this is a journey of healing and a, and a journey of restoring our faith in God.
And so the title is The Question of the Ages. Why? Isn't that the question of the ages? Why? And we could add a few others. When, who, where, God, how are you going to do this? But the biggest question of the ages is why. Why does God allow suffering? Why do these things happen? And so our first study is going to be why Job? Because if those of us will look from the outside in. Now remember, when you read your Bible, you have the advantage of knowing the end from the beginning. The people that were living there didn't know that. When Job lost everything, he didn't know he'd get it all back. Now we do, because we've read the end of the book. But we have an advantage. We know how the story ends. These people lived it. They didn't know how it was going to end. They could only live in the moment. And so if we look of all people in the Bible, why Job? Why would God allow this to happen to Job? As we're going to see that Job was the most righteous man on the planet. He was, let's just say it this way, he was the best Christian in the world at the time. He was the, 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 the man that was right with God. And yet, he became overnight the most reviled man in the world. So he was the most righteous, and then he became the most reviled. And the change was drastic, sudden, and certainly seemingly undeserved. And the thing is, we're often trying to figure out why. Can, can each of you think of a why question you have in your life? And sometimes we say, well, when I get to heaven, we're going to ask God for the answer. And the reality is once we get to heaven, we won't care. We care now. But I, I just want you to think, and we're going to take this journey as the Holy Spirit leads us. We're not going to rush. I want you to think do the, the uh, why question you may have. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've resolved it all. But is there any of us that still have a question why? that we would really like God to answer. Now think about that. I'm not going to ask you tonight, but as we go through, I'm going to ask if some of you will share that question because I would dare to guess that others have the same question that you may. And if we can go there and say, this is one of my why questions, then I hope we can also find some peace with that. So let's look at the first text Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the land of Uz, I just love these Bible names, Uz, Uz, however you want to say it. Probably it's, Uz sounds better than Uz. There lived a man whose name was not Job, Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. His kids would party, and then he'd make a sacrifice afterwards and intercede for his children. 
So let's break this down on your notes. The background of Job. It is widely believed that it was the first book written in the Bible. Now, it's not the earliest story because uh, most scholars believe that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which means the five books, was written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that the history had been passed down orally through the generations and that it was Moses that compiled all that. So Moses spoke about Adam, who was his ancestor, and he also certainly spoke about the promised land as well. And so Genesis is the, is the beginning, but the first book that was probably written in the Bible was Job. And we don't know the author of the book. It probably was not Job because it really has a, someone's outside perspective looking in. And they, it's just a guess. That people have tried different guesses of who wrote Job, but we don't know. There really isn't the evidence for that. Now, we do know that he lived likely before the birth of Abraham. So he came along early on in Genesis before Abraham, but after the flood. So he's in that time period there when he lived. Now, he is only mentioned three other times in the Bible. He's mentioned in Ezekiel 14, 14 and 20, I believe is the other scripture. So those two scriptures. And that speaks about even if Job were to intercede for you, you, you know, you're held accountable for your own sins. It's also mentioned in James 5.11. Let me read that. I don't have that on the screen. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So Job is certainly an example of perseverance. And the promise is, is if we will persevere, then we will see what God brings about. And the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, letter D, the location of us is uncertain. It's mentioned in Genesis 10.23 as a person's name. There's a guy named Uz. And this often happened. Somebody's name became the name of the city in which they lived, especially if they were the, the patriarch or the head of the city. It's also mentioned in Lamentations 4.21 as a city. So it's first mentioned as a person's name in Genesis, and it's later on mentioned also in Jeremiah as a place of us. Now, we only know that we don't know where us, us was. We don't know where it was. But we know that it had plentiful pastures and crops. It was located near a desert. And it was close enough to the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans to be raided. So the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans attacked Job's uh, wealth. And so most scholars believe Uz was located east of the Jordan River. So Israel, most of Israel is on the west side of the Jordan River. Jordan River runs right down the middle of the, of the nation, and Israel is on the west side mostly. But some, remember, three of the tribes stayed on the east side of the Jordan and, and uh, took land there. So Uz was somewhere on the east side of the Jordan, most scholars think. Now, this is critical, letter E. The prevailing doctrine of the day was retribution theology. Now, we know Job is an ancient book because it doesn't mention any of the kings. It, it doesn't even mention 
the sacrifices, the temples not mentioned. So we, we know that Job was written before the book of Exodus, for example, because none of that was instituted at this time. But the prevailing doctrine of those who were God-fearing people, their doctrine was retribution theology. Does anybody know what that means? Okay, retribution means punishment. And so the theology was only good things happen to good people and only bad things happen to bad people. In other words, retribution theology is you get, there's a reason you're punished. If something bad happened to you, it's your fault. You did something wrong. Now, this is, this is not necessarily the, the a sound theology of Scripture. In fact, part of what I believe the book of Job was written for was to correct this belief. God was correcting this belief that if something bad happened to you, it's because you're bad. Or if something good happened to you, it means you're good. How I many know that is not the case? Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Do you know that God shows kindness to the wicked? We, we see this in Scripture, and we're going to dig into that. But you, you've got to know what retribution theology is. The mindset of Job and his friends. And so, since Job lost everything, his friends said, it's your fault, brother. What an encouraging thing. Your kids died because you did something wrong. That's what they say. These friends are horrible. But they all believed it, even Job to a point. And so, the... the the whole philosophy of the time was that if you're bad, bad things happen. If you're good, good things happen. Exactly. And, 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 and that was Satan's insidious way of reinforcing that theology that was inaccurate. Excellent point. Satan said the same thing to God. Well, the only reason he worships you is because you all the good things you give him. And God says, okay, fine, take everything he has. And so God is correcting retribution theology. And he's using this amazing experience through one man to show that the reality is if something bad has happened to you, it doesn't mean you were bad. Now, there was a time when we went through the charismatic renewal and there were some extremes of the uh, those in faith that would actually say, if you're sick, it's because you sinned. And it hurt a lot of people. And if you, if you die of cancer, it's because you sinned. And that is not the case. We just studied the book of Galatians, and what did Paul say? It was because of an illness that I came to you. And so even Paul wrote the book of Galatians. He had maybe never written the book of Galatians, except he got sick. And he had to stay over in that city for a while. And so we know that, now, now it is true that some disease is the result of sin. It is true. That's the problem. The, Satan's lies, there's always a measure of truth in it. A little grain of truth in his lie. And so the reality is, is there, there is the, res, the result of, of unhealth. In fact, if we take communion in an unworthy manner, right? Uh, Paul said, some of you have gotten sick and some have fallen asleep. That doesn't mean they nodded off during my sermon. <laughs> it means they're sleeping six feet under. 
So it is true. There are times where sin can, can cause sickness and disease. But what happens is when, when we, if we believe that if we're good, God has to be good to us. Now, there's a measure of truth in that, isn't it? I've been teaching that there is blessings when you obey. So there is, there is truth in that. There, there are times, there are rewards for obedience. But the problem is, is when we lock it in so rigidly that if we're good, God has to be good to me. And if bad things happen to me, I've done something bad. If we believe that, then we can control God. Exactly. We, we come to God on our terms. So, God, I've been good this week. You, you have to be good to me. But remember, it's all about grace, not works. It's, it's His grace that is good to us. So we're going we're gonna to dig into this. And because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little secret. We all have some retribution theology in our theology. I know I do. We all have a little bit of that in there, like, God, you owe me. Or the extreme others that, God, you hate me. And so we need to, and I'm telling you, if your doctrine's wrong, your life will be wrong. You, you have to have sound doctrine and if, if we know what we believe and it's accurate, that we will have peace. We will be able to approach God with confidence. And so we're, we're going to see about this incredible man and what he experienced. And think about this. The book of Job has comforted millions of people throughout history. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to Job? We'll have to see, but... Certainly, his suffering has ministered to millions of people throughout history. So retribution theology, it's that belief that it's almost, and this is why it can be dangerous, it's almost like the Hindu belief of karma, except karma, you, you get punished in your next life. Yes. Yes. Yes, and, and, and I, I do believe in prosperity. I preached it on Sunday about success. But the extreme of that, again, is that we can control God. And that if we're good, we're prosperous. And then we assume anybody that's prosperous is good, and that's not necessarily the case. Great point, Scott. We've got to remember that, and this is why I think we've got to really understand this doctrine, this retribution theology, because it permeates some of our beliefs. And even in that case as well, in a positive way, but the idea that, you know, prosperity is the direct result of being good is not necessarily true. Because many times the psalmist complained about the wealth of the wicked, right? And so I do believe God wants to bless us and prosper us and help us succeed, but he doesn't owe that to us. And we can't control him in that. And so I'm, I'm hoping that in this journey, it'll unearth some things in your own heart that you realize, wait a minute, I've got some retribution theology stuck in me. <laughs> and we need to root that out. Okay? All right. Number two, let's look at the character of Job. Letter A, Job was blameless. Now, this word in the Hebrew does not mean perfect. 
or faultless. It really means complete, morally innocent, having integrity. Now, what's going to be interesting, so I'm still in a little of my thunder, but there's going to be a time where Job's wife says, stop holding on to your what? Integrity. Curse God and die. So it's, it's interesting that his wife would point out this very thing. That's what blameless means is integrity. And that she would say, stop holding on to your integrity. Curse God and die. Now, before we beat up on Job's wife too much, she had lost everything. She had lost her children. And it does, some paint her as just a kind of a mean woman. You know, just, just die. <laughs> so, I, so this can get over with. But it may have just been the depths of despair. Job, just get this over with. I'm watching you suffer every day. And she wasn't all bad because he had 10 more children with her later on. So, but we'll, we'll talk about Job's wife. It's, it's fascinating. I love this book. It's so fascinating. I mean, it's, it's the first time we really see Satan come on the scene in the Old Testament. And, and we get to really, we're going to learn some things about the devil. You okay with that? Because we need to know our adversary. And so we're going we're gonna to learn some things about the devil. Job was blameless. It means having integrity, one who is morally and ethically pure. So again, not perfect, but a man of integrity. Letter B, Job was upright. Another Hebrew word means straightforward, just. In other words, he, was, he, he always judged justly. He, he'll talk about later on how he defended the poor. Job was a good guy. He defended the poor. So he was just. And he was correct. This is the, the interesting thing. A lot of what Job says is right. It's correct. And it also means to have a, a correct standing with God. And so to be upright is to be straightforward, to, to love justice, like Micah 6.8 tells us to. But it means that you're upright with God. You're standing with God. Letter C, we're looking at Job's character. He feared God. Now, again, I spoke on this on Sunday, so I'm not going to delve into it too deeply. But again, we know this is a reverential fear, not a cowering fear. It is not the cringing fear of a slave before a cruel taskmaster, but the loving respect of a child before an admired father. And it's a reverence that leads to obedience. The evidence of the fear of the Lord is obedience. It's also the evidence of the love of If you love the Lord, you will obey. If you fear the Lord, you will obey. Obedience is a result of both of those. And letter D, Job shunned evil. Shunned means to turn aside from, to depart from. The Bible says that we are to flee not just evil, but what? The appearance of evil. We're not just to flee evil, we're to flee the appearance. If it looks evil, get away from it. And so Job shunned evil. In fact, he, he says later on, he made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a woman to lust. This man was a righteous man. 
boy, he, he puts me to shame. I, I look at how, how, how righteous this man was. He shunned evil. He, he walked away from it. He fleed the appearance of evil. So this is, so when we say, why Job? That's why. The guy's blameless. Why him? Why wouldn't they do this test with somebody that, that was a sinner or had all these problems? Why would God choose the most righteous man in the world? We're going we're gonna to just, we're going to dig into that. Number three, the blessing of Job. Job had the perfect family. Did you know that in Bible times, the perfect family was seven sons and three daughters? That was considered the ideal family. You'll see that seven sons elsewhere in Scripture. I have a reference, but I didn't bring it with me. He had the perfect family. And a family like this was considered blessed of the Lord. And especially the sons, because the sons would provide for the parents in that culture. And, uh, but especially the ladies, too, because uh, they would uh, also bring sons-in-laws, people like Ruth for Naomi. So he had the perfect family. Yes? One wife, yes. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, that's very important. Though, though Scripture never forbade polygamy, it was never God's design. And anybody who practiced it had trouble. So that God doesn't, God doesn't uh, endorse polygamy. So thank you for pointing that out. Not only the seven daughters and three, or seven sons, three daughters, and a wife, one wife. Very good. Letter B, Job had great wealth. So remember we talked about his character? This is the result of his character. Or so they believed. So... If you felt, if you believed that if you are righteous, then you will get rewards, is it possible that we would be righteous for the wrong reasons? Because how many of you know that at the end of the day, we should be righteous for itself, whether there's a reward or not? We do this because we love God, not because God's going to give us a toy, but that God's going to, we, we do it because we love God. And so in that day, wealth was measured by the number of livestock and servants you had. And Job had a ton, but he was a good steward of his wealth. And we're going to see that later on. Again, how he gave to the poor, how he helped others. He was a good steward of his wealth. Letter C, Job had great power. Job 1.3 says he was the greatest man among all the people of these. His reputation was well known. He was a, a great guy. He was a rich guy. And he was a powerful man. He had incredible influence in that area. The prevailing religious mindset of that day is that it was Job's morality that resulted in his prosperity. His morality brought prosperity. And that was the philosophy. Again, retribution theology. You, you get whatever, you, you know, what do they say? What goes around comes around. Payback, all those things. Now listen to this letter D. Job also had great fear. Not of God, 
but of life. In, and we're going to get there like in three months. But in Job chapter 3, <laughs> verse 25, Job said these words, What I feared has come upon me. And so all this time when he was righteous and he was wealthy, he was also afraid that he would lose it all. Now, this, we're going to talk about fear. How the wrong kind of fear is so unhealthy. And so we already see the first chink in Job's armor. You see, he, he knew his kids maybe might have sinned. They're having this big old party all the time. And so he was afraid that he would lose his kids. And evidently from chapter 3, verse 25, he was, what had happened to him, he expected. He was afraid. Had you ever say that? I was afraid that was going to happen. Well, self-fulfilling prophecy. And so there, there is, we see a chink in his armor right there. He was he had the perfect family, he had great wealth, he had great power, but he had great fear of losing those previous things. And, and I'm telling you, it happens. Isn't it true that we, all, we think, if I just get that, then I'll be happy, or if I just have this amount of money in the bank, I'll finally not worry about it. And then somebody, you know, steals it out of your bank, Right? And, and so, you know, we're, we're, so we get LifeLock and all these other kind of, we pay money for all these other programs because we're afraid we're going to lose our money. Or we're going to lose, you know, somebody's going to steal our identity, which are serious things. I'm not against that. I have LifeLock. It's not a commercial for it, but I, I do have it. But the reality is, is, you know, there's nothing secure in this world. There are people that have lost thousands of dollars in their retirement because of the downturn of the stock market. I mean, there's no guarantee. And I'm telling you this, God does not want you to be afraid of losing your money or your marriage or your health because if you live in fear of losing those things, it will affect all those things. It certainly will affect our health. Fear, the unholy fear is unhealthy fear to us. And though Job had a healthy fear of God, he had an unhealthy fear of life. And I, and I believe Job wrestled with anxiety. We're going to see this. And he certainly wrestled with depression. There are times he's going to say, I wish I'd never been born. I mean, that's the depths of despair. And again, this is, if you've ever struggled with anxiety or depression or any of those things, you're going to find comfort here. We need, to, we need to bring those to the Lord. How many know those are very real things? When there's, there's mental illness or, or emotional illness or physical illness, we need to be sympathetic to people that are struggling with those things. You know, I, I'm sensitive to it because my mom was the, the greatest Christian I've ever known on this planet, and yet she struggled terribly with depression. And she was a woman of faith. Man, she'd quote me scriptures left and right, and I've never known a better Christian in my life. And yet, like, like Paul, she had a thorn in her side till the day she died. Now, she's not depressed anymore, praise God. She got the greatest healing of all. 
She went home to be with Jesus. But I want you to understand that, and this was much harder during my mom's day in the 70s and when people kind of looked down on emotional struggles like that and depression or, or nervous breakdowns, they used to call them. And I want, you, I want us to understand that many of those things are caused by chemical imbalances in the brain that is, that's physical, causing an emotional or, or a mental struggle. And so like high blood pressure or anything else, how many know that it's valid? It's genuine, it's real. And, you know, we need to be sensitive to people that struggle with anxiety, that struggle with depression. Now, we, we, we direct them to Jesus is all we can do, but sometimes, I'm, you know, sometimes it requires medication, you know, that, that can help balance things out. God can heal through medicine. He can heal through surgery. Now, we need to make sure the medication is the proper medication and that we're just not medicating. Big difference, right? Between taking medication and medicating with, with uh, uh, other types of medicine <laughs> that we shouldn't. But ultimately, we're going to see how Job handled these things because who wouldn't be depressed after losing everything? And so the faith of Job, and I close with this tonight, Job was fervent. Man, he was on fire for God. He was so fervent, he made sure and made those sacrifices for his children. It was his regular custom, it says. And so we see a man that was passionate for God. Letter B, Job was consistent in his faith. His regular practice was making this sacrifice. But the reality is, let her see, he was uncertain. There's still something he was unsettled about. It goes along with the fear. And so there was a weakness in Job's faith that God was going to address. Because how many of you know without faith it's impossible to please God? The greatest thing we can do for God is to have faith in him. But at the same time, a lot of times our faith is not formed by the Bible, but by our experiences. And that's not healthy. Don't, don't, your theology should not come from your experiences. Your theology should come from the Word of God. And the Word of God, you should, you should view your experiences through the prism of the Word of God, not the other way around. And that's how people can get off on their doctrine because they base it on their experience or their feelings instead of the truth of God's word that is rock solid, that never changes. And so, but again, feelings are important. They're part of how God has made us. But God wants our emotions to serve us and not us serve our emotions. And that can be difficult to do, especially if it's become a habit. And so we're gonna... We're going to look at the life of Job, and, and here's one comfort you can take. No one will ever suffer like he did. No one. It, no one has before or since. But because he suffered, it will help us to be comforted in our suffering. But the greatest thing about this journey is going to be you're going to get to know God better. Some people have a wrong image of God. I've seen it a lot in many years of ministry that a lot of times, uh, if someone did not have a good example of an earthly father, 
sometimes they'll struggle having a, a proper perspective of their heavenly father. If somebody went through abuse or things like that, sometimes they will bring that into their, their faith and their relationship with the Lord and view God the same way. And so some of us have a, a wrong view of God that we hope will be corrected during this journey because God loved Job. Oh, did he love him. But he allowed Job to suffer like no one in history. So how do we reconcile those two things? That's what we're gonna work on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible book, this incredible man, Lord, that had such loss like no one ever before. And so, Lord, I thank you that you've shown us this example the Bible is so awesome. God, you've left us your word so we can understand life, so we can understand you, so we can get to know who God is. You reveal yourself in these pages. You say, this is who I am. And so, Lord, I thank you as we take this journey with Job, as we walk through the darkness with him, Lord, and we realize in our own times of darkness, God, what we need to do to have the light again in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us the cracks in our, the foundation of our faith. Show us those areas of our life that are unresolved, the questions of why that we're asking God that are holding us back from greater victory and breakthrough in our life. Lord, we, we don't want to be ch in these chains, Lord, of regret. Lord, we don't want to live in, in, the, in the past, Lord, in the shame, God, that comes with the enemy that he throws up in our face. Lord, we want to be free to worship you, to love you, to follow you. We want to be healthy, body, soul, and spirit. And so, Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.